All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Is Not A Meeting. Hey, grab a chair. Have a seat around the table. We are in a community talking about sobriety. We talk about recovery. And uh, we talk about overcoming challenges every single day. We don't claim to be experts. We're just walking this journey with you. And we're trying to become our best selves just like you are. Uh, Around the table here, we have... Big Joe. Jimbo. And I am Scottage. And uh, we are just sitting here with you, and we're going to talk about some of these uh, some of these things. Last week we talked about tragedy, and and a friend of the podcast, and and a personal, uh, very good friend of of Jimbo's, uh, Sheree. And uh, we would just first of all, we just want to say thank you to everybody who went to the GoFundMe page, everybody who who dug in to to read a little bit more about her story. Um, they are great people, and uh, and life is just kind of giving them a, a big obstacle to to have to encounter right now. And and so whatever you're giving for them, if it's prayer, if it's if it's uh, uh, help with the GoFundMe page, if it's just good thoughts, um, whatever it is, we we appreciate it, and we just want to say thanks to you for for everybody who reached out. This week is a very big week in my life every every year because uh, it's the NFL draft and I look forward to this every every year I He's used to the transitions folks. I used to have uh, you didn't like that segue I was like where is he going oh yeah yeah you know really important stuff exactly uh, some people could care less I've I've mentioned it to Big Joe before I'm like hey did you see what happened on the draft and he goes it's baseball season <laughs> It's baseball season. I was just going to say that is you didn't talk to me about the draft this year. You I always didn't. make it a point. I to... did talk to you about the draft because the Pitts, uh, the Steelers, I had to tell you who TJ Watt was. Oh, yeah, you did. But normally the build up is a little more than just telling me who the Steelers drafted. Very true. Very true. I, I, like, I like to let you know who the, who the Raiders drafted, uh, you know, who the number one pick was, all that stuff. It's hockey playoffs and baseball season. It is. And, and I get that. But my heart bleeds bleeds pigskin what can i tell you but there was a story that came out that that jimbo you caught that was coming out of the draft that was very interesting and uh, for those of you who could ki- who could care less about sports uh stick with us because this it's really not a sports based storyline no um it's it's really about a guy who who uh had his own bout of tragedy uh but jimbo you know a little bit more about this why don't you go ahead and run with it yeah we're Dealing in the middle of a three-part series regarding tragedy, and this week we're going to talk about when tragedy hits you directly in the face and how do you deal with it. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, with their third-round pick, selected running back James Conner, who went to the University of Pittsburgh. And what makes him unique is uh, he had a great freshman campaign, an awesome second year as well, where he got ACC Player of the Year. And then uh, start of his junior year, he blew out his knee in the first game of the season. It was like even in the first half. And it was obviously a major loss for the team. The following day, he was getting an MRI to see how bad the damage was in the knee, and they discovered he actually had Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And as a 20-year-old kid, obviously this floored him, but he made it public from the very get-go that he was going to beat it and he was going to get back on the field. And the inspiration for his teammates and for everybody, because as he was going through chemotherapy, he had one of those surgical masks on, and he's actually at the complex running drills with his teammates, showing that he wasn't going to let this cancer beat him. And it was such an incredible journey. And it wasn't even sentimental that the Steelers selected him. And it's funny because you'll hear if you go and 
pull up James Conner's story, there's some snippets from the running's back coach of the Steelers. And he said, if you think this is a sentimental pick, you wait till Sunday when he runs you over, and we'll see how sentimental he <laughs> Because he's a bruiser. He's six foot three. He's every bit of 230 pounds. So he's going to, he's a tough dude. He's battled back. Um, as of February, the cancer is completely out of his body. Hmm. So he is, got selected by the, the Pittsburgh Steelers in that third round pick. And like the reaction, and it's all over the place. It was the draft pick of the entire draft because they show the reaction. He went, he's from Erie, Pennsylvania. So that first night of the draft, Thursday night, they had his whole family and friends just in case he was a first round pick at the Buffalo Wild Wings up in Erie. And then just like nothing's happening, nothing's happening. The following night, they all go back to the same restaurant. A whole round passes, nothing's happening. He's starting to get discouraged. And obviously, there's tons of cameras around because it's James Conner. It's the cancer story. Everybody's all about it. And then you see secretly see him walk out of the room where he's kind of gotten a phone call from somebody. And he comes back in, and he's there with his friends and family. And you see it being announced on live TV. And his reaction, he just completely crumbles into his brother's arms. Wow. And it was just like that aha moment, like, I did it. And right. on so many different levels. And he's local. Yeah, yeah. He's had to be a Steelers fan being an Erie. You would think so, for sure. He's just, And the best part about a lot of people on the end, sports is avenue pittsburgh and the university of pittsburgh <clears throat> excuse me they share the same uh, athletic complex down on the south side of pittsburgh oh, right, right right yeah so a lot of these Steelers know him and know his story and vice versa he knows a lot about them so it's a nice smooth transition for him and we're definitely in need of a backup running back because we do have one of the best running backs already in the league so it's going to be a hell of a one-two punch between these two guys and i know he's just beyond ecstatic that one obviously he's cancer free and he was able to fight and beat that tragedy and that's where, like, I always say to Sheree and all these other people that are fighting, fight like hell, kick cancer's ass, because it's not worth giving up the battle. It can be beaten, and major things can be accomplished afterwards. And that's the hard thing, like, when you're going through something tragic, to realize there is something on the other side of it. It may feel like the biggest wall in the world right in front of you that you're never going to get through, but if you plow away, like he did one day at a time, one chemo treatment at a time, eventually, not saying you're going to get drafted in the NFL, but there can be some pretty big things on the other side of that tragedy for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great storyline. And it's so cool to see uh, to see somebody who, who has come through those types of moments and just how they've handled it. Because to, to continue on to practice, to, to know that, hey, I don't care what's happening to me. I still have this other thing that's out there that I'm trying to get to. That's just huge. And that's the main gist of this episode is how we dealt with certain things like that. Like when it hits us and I always think like, oh, nothing's really major hit, but anything that gets in your way can be considered a tragedy because we already have our minds made up of how things are supposed to go. So when that little wrinkle comes in or that little curveball, the diagnosis that you didn't want to hear or financial setback or anything little can be considered a tragedy like in the eye of the beholder i don't even know where i'm going with this but i know like certain <laughs> things where like it doesn't have to be a major monumental thing like i have cancer is the tragedy it can be the passing of a relative that mm -hmm. you had a strong connection with how did you get to the other side of that thing and we have a lot of those every day that we have to get through where we don't even realize they're tragedy but we're still plowing through to get that answer that we're looking for. Right. And I think at some point, the way that I look at tragedy is that it's it's something that has taken you out at the knees and it's it's left you lying on your back, staring up at the sky and and just saying, what do I do now? And and that's the moment. That's the moment that, that you've got to get past is going, okay, how, how the hell do I, what do I do now? Yeah, you can take that two ways. I mean, right. you can take it and run with it and use it to motivate you or you can live the poor me's. Well, but ultimately you have to you have to 
find your path to dealing with it. Because you, until you can find that path to dealing with it, you don't get to that why of the road. I mean, I mean, I'm not a why question, not the word why, but, <laughs> but you know, like the, the the where the path separates, and you've got those two choices now. Until you deal with that with that crap, and it might it who knows? I mean, some people it takes a while to to deal with that uh, because it can when it takes you out at the knees, it takes you out at the knees. It doesn't, you know, that's you're not in a position to continue to forward to move forward at that point. You've got to get up before you can continue to move forward. And the getting up that you're referring to, and I know this is not a meeting, but at the meetings we always talk about is that acceptance. When I finally accepted that I was an alcoholic, things slowly got better. It was being knocked down and being finally standing back up and realizing I accepted where I was. So that's the thing. When tragedy hits you and you, everybody handles it differently, like you said, if it's a month or two of just the boo-hoos and this is miserable, why is this, why is this? Certain people, and I always refer back to Sheree or other people that get that major diagnosis, sometimes you don't get the opportunity to boo-hoo for a couple months and say, maybe this will just go away. Sometimes right. you got to start fighting right away. So that acceptance is forced upon you. But if it's a tragedy like a family member passing or something crazy happening, you have to make that decision. I accept this. I don't like it. I don't have to like it. But there's now a game plan in place now that I've accepted that first part of it. Right. And it and it can sometimes start to feel like it's nothing but mental. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, we got it in. All right. But so so it it can start to feel like it's mental but there is an emotional side to this whole thing you know there there's that other side and i'm i'm much more logical in in the way that i handle things i mean i do have emotions but, it, but for me to to process emotions emotions have to become facts and then facts can now be dealt with that's that's kind of how i deal with with emotions so it's 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 not quite robot you know, I mean, I'm not. I'm That's not what I was fully. Thinking when you were giving that, I'm not fully 100% robot, but um, but I am much much further on the on the logic than I am re- than I do react out of emotion. But emotions are still very much a part of what what drives me. I mean, they're, they're inside of me. You're not a worst case scenario kind of guy. I I can be. Yeah, you know, it just. I mean, catch me because the the other stuff that I deal with with the depression and everything. I mean, that's. That's not exactly optimistic usually, <laughs> but, um, but and that's the thing. When you see these cancer survivor stories, the majority of them are, they all have that mindset pretty early where they're going to beat it. And they've already convinced themselves and in that mental makeup saying, I'm going to get to the other side of this, where I am that doom and gloom thinker very often where it's just like, and I'll play that tape so forward ahead where, well, what if this doesn't happen or what if this and what if that, and you have to have that even when tragedy hits, if you have the mindset we talked about before the show, like it happened for a reason. Joey's famous thing, everything happens for a reason. If we know that that's the case and we can get our head wrapped around that I'm going to get to the other side of it compared to just doom and gloom about it, the chances of getting through that tragedy in a better way are a lot better off, I think. Yeah, I'd, I would agree with that. The way that I t- tend to handle things at least I believe this is the way I handle them. As a robot? <laughs> yeah. As, <laughs> as a robot. <laughs> danger will Robinson. Artificial danger, danger. <laughs> but um, hey, some of that AI is pretty good. Um, <laughs> the, the way that I think, you know, you can ask my wife because she might have a different perspective on how I handle it, but this is how I, how I think I handle it, is that whenever it hits, it's much more in the present, going, okay, I need to deal with it right now. I, I can't think long term. And, and I can't think, I don't, I don't try to think the why me I don't, you know, in the sense of, you know, we've talked about this before where it's like, 
why am I the one that got it? You know, it's like, that isn't my question typically. When you had that illness, is that what we're referring well, to? Well, um, I think, I think this is a general way in life that I handle things, but yeah, especially, you know, when I got, when I got diagnosed with type one diabetes at age 44, you know, that's kind of late in life for something like that to happen. This is this, they right. call it juvenile diabetes for a reason. <laughs> uh, and it was like six weeks later, whenever the CIDP got, di- got, uh, started to kick into me. It wasn't until a few months later, whenever the, it actually got diagnosed. CIDP is the easiest way to remember it, but it's, it's chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. You know, which stick is stick with the initials. Yeah, stick with the <laughs> stick with the abbreviation. Hashtag. Yeah, good because good luck spelling demyelinating. That's <laughs> that took me forever. The CIDP was so fatiguing that I couldn't go from the bedroom to my living room without being just completely exhausted and, and actually having to, to fall back asleep. I just, I felt like I was an 80 year old man that just like nodded off. You know, if you ever see like your old grandpa sitting there in the chair and you look over, he's awake, you look over, he's asleep. You know, <laughs> that was me. And so uh, the other part of that is that your the nerves in your body are basically electrical wires, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go into a huge detail because because uh, everybody will nod off. There's an insulator around your nerves that my body is was attacking. And that's what it, that's what this autoimmune disease, it attacks that, that insulator around your nerves. And it, it eats that away, it basically leaves raw nerves throughout your body. So the pain of having just raw nerves running through through my body, I, as simple as a bed sheet touching my foot caused extreme pain. So the pain was ridiculous with, with what all I was going through and nobody could figure this thing out. And so I went to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. I mean, I compared it to a house episode. Yeah. Yeah, you never saw that shit. I never saw that shit, but from what I've heard of it, you know, yep. sure, I'll go along. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, um, but nobody could figure this thing out. I finally ended up at the neurologist. The neurologist said, "Okay, so basically, if you're seeing me, it's because you've seen everybody else, because I'm at the end of the line." You know, if you're seeing a neurologist, it's because nobody else can figure it out, and and the neurologist is your last shot. My turn. Yeah, and so I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, pretty much, because I don't have any more uh, like ologists that I have that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> we we were blessed because we we just the way that it all fell together, we ended up with the the right the right doctor who had actually spent a good deal of time studying this disease and and was able to diagnose it very quickly and got me into a treatment that I still do for two years later that I'm still doing that comes to my house with, with uh, it's an IVIG treatment. So they hook me up to this machine, they hook me up to these liquids, they put it into my bloodstream and it, it basically confuses my immune system to stop attacking itself. So that's actually been really good. I mean, from from where I was to where I am now, I'm a thousand times better with no complaints. Absolutely. You know, for the idea of an ideal perfection, is it completely gone? No. But to get it's through, manageable now. It's yeah. Well, it's it's where it is, and and I'm okay with that. But mm-hmm. it's it's let's it's this idea that you deal with the present in the present. That's that's how I deal with this, and I think I, I went completely off off on a big old circle loop there for <laughs> for where we were, but but how I deal with it is very much in the present. You know, it's I've described myself before as somebody who I'm not really a half half empty or a half full kind of guy when it comes to that glass of milk. I'm more like, hey, I got some milk. You know, <laughs> I like that. I don't I don't really look at the comparison of what should be, what couldn't be, what isn't. As much as this is what we have, and and how do we now deal with that? And that's how I think I got through it. You know, I mean, minus the support. I mean, I had I had awesome family members. My, you know, my my wife is awesome. My daughter is awesome. 
uh, we had we had great friends. We you know we have great you know family members that that uh, checked in and helped us support. That's key. That is, it's huge. But for for the way that that I was able to handle with it, it wasn't. Hey, where does this thing take me in in two weeks in a month? Because there were days whenever it would kick in, and I didn't know that I would be around next week because nobody could figure this thing out, and I was doing nothing but going downhill. And went for the spinal taps and all that type of stuff. And when you go for a spinal tap, uh, please remember, they do. They now call it a lumbar puncture um, <laughs> because they don't want to hear the jokes from the movie Spinal Tap. <laughs> and, uh, and when you say, does that machine go to 11, they have no sense of humor. <laughs> I'm just putting it out. I've never there. seen that movie. Oh, oh man, Joey. Joey. <laughs> I'm the worst movie. But uh, but yeah, yeah, the humor is lost on them in that room. <laughs> but I attempted and they, they didn't want to hear it. But that's kind of how I, I feel like I try to deal with it, is just in the present, saying, okay, I've got to get through this moment. And how do I get through this moment right now? And and it's not about the comparisons, because I think the comparisons, when tragedy strikes, if you start to, to look down the road, you start to look at other comparisons. And those storylines, as we've talked about before, storylines can can destroy you if you try and run storylines in your head. Yep. Kind of piggybacking off what you were just talking about, living and trying. We talk about on this podcast all the time about keeping your heart, your brain, and your feet all in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. Another sports quick metaphor, but the former anchor for ESPN, Stuart Scott, who lost his battle with cancer, but he gave a big speech at the ESPY Awards about six months before his passing. But his big thing was when you're tired, take a rest. Allow the others around you to keep fighting for mm. you. That was his main message was, I'm going to fight like hell, but I'm also going through something pretty big here that's wiping me out. So I have to have that trust and that belief in my doctors and my nurses and my family exactly. and my wife and my kids. And that's what kept him fighting for so long because he fought it for over four years. But eventually it did catch up to him, but he fought like hell. And he said when he was tired, he was able to turn it over. Well, and you do. You've got to acknowledge where you are in that moment. And, and there's times when, like for me, that was, a, that was it, hit, it hit so fast that I didn't have a lot of time to try and say, okay, what's, what's going here? What's going there? You know, what, how, do, how do we now put a plan together? You know, it wasn't about that. It was like, how do I get through this moment? Because right now sucks. I could, I could have cared less that I had diabetes. Like, because right. the other disease, the other autoimmune thing, that's what I was focused on. And I had to get through that. So diabetes was completely secondary to me <laughs> at that point. <laughs> those are those types of moments. And I'm not saying that I was perfect in any of that stuff or that my way is, is somehow the way. But yeah, I had to find my own path. And I think that's what we have to do. You've got to find your own path. Big Joe, we've talked, we've mentioned before that, that your dad passed away whenever you were, whenever you 14. were 14 years old. Yeah, 14 years old. Um, that, I mean, you're not even together yet. Like your your brain is still forming at that point. Oh, I'll never you know? forget that day. I got picked up at um at the school by our pastor. And I was like, odd. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't happen. Like really not an aunt, an uncle, a family member. Right. No, I got picked up by the pastor. Not the no. sheriff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sheriff, that, that came later on. The sheriff life. I could have understood maybe, but But yeah, I mean it was just at fourteen years old, I'm like, why is this happening? You know, and I definitely think it was the right person to pick us up. It worked out. How I dealt with that tragedy uh, was completely different. I got the poor me's. Now, I was a little bit younger, but I got the poor me's. Not gonna, no more baseball games. No more 
graduation, you know, all the main events in your life that you want your dad to be a part of, that starts running through your head. Now, I dealt with it with drugs and alcohol, and I dealt with that for... 14 years? 14 years. I had the best excuse in the world. I could get drunk whenever I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you didn't know my dad committed suicide? Yeah, give me a case of beer. (laughs) Free drinks tonight at the bar? Yep. But well, and yeah. probably people that would let you run on a very long leash because of that as well. Oh, I mean, and I used it. I, I mean, I played, I played the game. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at uh, playing the system. I love games, and uh, that was a game changer for me. I used it. Yeah. <laughs> it got to the point in life where I used it. I failed out of college. Oh, that's because my dad died. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> no, it wasn't you asshole. <laughs> It's because you didn't study. (laughs) It's because you decided to sit there and smoke pot all day. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, it was tough. I mean, it wasn't fully developed. You know, I mean, I was well. At age of fourteen, the event changes your your entire life in an instant. You know, it's today he was here, and today he today he's not. Like this morning he was here, tonight he's not. Right. What What do I do with with that? What do I do with it tomorrow when I wake up and he's not here? What do I do with it the next day and he's not here? Yep. You know, I mean, in in my situation, it's a it's a long progression of life. You know, life changed very quickly, but the people were still around me. And and it was just how did I now deal with life was different. For you, it's not only how do I deal with it differently, but the people that I thought I could rely on for a moment like this. My support system. Yeah. Right. One of them isn't here now. And and he was a huge part of your life. And my mom was awesome, you know, but you're looking for that male figure as a 14-year-old boy, you know, and um, I went to my uncle. I mean, it was great. He right. stepped in. I mean, he was close to, close as that my dad could come to. Right. You know, I mean, he stepped in, felt, filled the shoes and... Yeah, and he, he really did. He wrapped his arms around you and, and he tried to fill that role. Oh, absolutely. I mean... However, it, it, at the same time, you can't there's fill- nobody that can replace that. Nobody, not you know and, that, and I've tried to tell that to Bryce. Uh, it just uh, it came up the other day. We were at the bank, and somebody asked about, um, "Well, your dad's tall," and they were looking at me. And yes, I am his dad. And I said, "Yeah, his, well, his dad was six foot seven. And Bryce gave me a look, and he's like, "But you're my dad." I'm like, "Yeah, but never forget where you came from." I mean, mm. you have two dads. You're fortunate. I mean, six but, foot seven. Brennan was six foot seven. Holy, that's crap. why I, I'm I trying to get that. a. <laughs> I'm trying to get a basketball in Bryce's hand. I mean, <laughs> I had no idea he was that. Th- I mean, I've seen pictures of him, but pic- pictures Almost don't tell you. Down, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's well, tall. even standing up, unless if you're standing next to something that can put that in relation. And yeah, and I mean, I know that for Bryce. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to fill those shoes, but I'll never fully fill film. I mean, I wear size 13 shoes, but I'm trying to fill a size 16. You know, I mean, there's going to be a gap there. <laughs> Just because I dealt with it. I was very fortunate because my family, I have that support system, you know? They right. they tried to help me, support me, but I, I wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, my right. support system came from the bar and the drink I was having. And then when I got in trouble, then I'd come back and say, hey, <laughs> aunts, uncles, whoever it was, whoever was going to pick up my phone call at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> can you come get me? And <laughs> I'll never forget my the one uh, DUI I got. I had my aunt and uncle come pick me up from the police station. And it was such a cop-out. I mean, they picked me up, and I didn't even get a mile away from the 
PlayStation, and I jumped out of the door of their van. <laughs> I opened up the door, and I said, you're going to let me out, or I'm jumping out of a moving van. <laughs> I mean, it was bad when my mom picked me up out in uh, Penn State, because I got an underage and a public drunkenness. She drove four hours in my stepdad and picked me up, and they said, you want to go out to eat? Now, they took a Saturday and came out and drove. I said, no, just drop me off at my friend's house. Drop me off and turn around and went home. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so the whole tragedy of my dad, I mean, I used it. I wouldn't say I didn't know I was using it at the time, because I, I did. But now that I look back on it, I used it a lot more than I thought I did. But is that something that you grew into doing? Over the years, or is that something that at the age of 14 you started doing right away? I think that I grew into it because I saw I could use it. So what were you doing at the age of 14, at the age of 15? How, how... That's when my journey began with drugs and alcohol. It began, right. But where, where were you? That's where I was looking. Can you remember where your thoughts were and where your emotions were whenever you're, you're trying to deal with this thing? But what's, what's going on in your mind? F you. <laughs> Without, <laughs> that's vain. That's actually yeah. very legit. That's very legit. Yeah. Uh, you're an asshole. <laughs> you took the easy way out. It's bullshit. What about all us? I mean, you know what I mean? What right. about me? So it turned into me. Me, me, me. Right. So did you go through those stages of grief? You know, the the seven stages or whatever it is of, of grief where you, you've got anger no, and then denial. And I then... buried it. And what was great is when I was, uh, how old was I? 27 and I hit the rooms and I was finally able to deal with it. I mean, hmm. that was the big core to my alcohol and drug use. You know, I mean, because if that, the grief system started kicking in, uh-uh. Start drinking, smoke a bowl, you know, I, I smoked a lot of weed, and any escape that I could get out, that's where I was going. I didn't want to deal with it. And I prolonged that process for 14 years. And when I finally dealt with it, it was the best thing. And then I, best thing I've ever done. It got me sober, and then you got to slowly go back and make them amends to the people that you hurt, <laughs> you know, or the people that you used. It's hard, but... It helps. It helps deal with it, you know? Accepting it after the fact, basically. He had to go back and make those wrongs right because those people, as crazy as his life was, he kept them, they kept him on the, I don't want to say straight and narrow because he was all over the place, but <laughs> they definitely tried to rein him in as best as they possibly could. When we're the, we like to think of ourselves as the guys that you come to between meetings, obviously not the guys at the meeting because that's, we're, we're actually trying to just be supplemental to that. But when you go to the meeting, did you go to the meeting as I'm an alcoholic or did you go to the meeting as my dad died and um, I've, got, I've got to struggle through this? So did the, like, uh, did the meeting open your eyes to say, here's why you're drinking and here's why you're acting out in these ways? Or did you go in knowing this is why I'm doing this and I need to learn how to deal with it better? No, I went in as an alcoholic. Okay, so... No clue. So it was actually the, the, the meeting and the program that helped you to understand why you were doing it. Exactly. Yep. It was the people in there and the people that have been through the same thing. And I mean, it takes a lot of... Uh, the fourth and fifth step is you write down everybody you've hurt in your life from your drinking and uh, your resentments. The fifth step is you tell your higher power, which is God in my instance, and you tell another person and you get rid of that, you know? And I'll never forget that day. It was like I was on cloud nine. <clears throat> and after that, I went straight to the graveyard. I mean, hmm. it, 
it took like a million pounds off my shoulders and I'm just like, here you go. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> tossed it to the guy that I was doing it with and tossed it to my, my higher power. I'm like, here you go. It's yours now. I'm done. <laughs> I've had this on my back for how long? And I don't think that you have to be an addict or in recovery to have to do that. You know what I mean? I mean, I think a right. lot of people carry this stuff around with them and it slows them down and eats them up. I mean, you know, in my case, it drove me to the bottle. You know, right. Um, in someone else's case, it might send them somewhere else. But yeah, I mean, a big thing that was holding me back in life was that resentment towards my father. Right. You know, and to let that finally let that go after 14 years, I was like, oh, man, right. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, and those, those things that can take you out at the knees don't have to be like a death. Like they don't have to be that extreme. They, right. they can be a betrayal of somebody. They can be somebody that's just treated you so horribly for years that you've built up this bitterness and this, it's become a trauma for you to have to have endured that. That you're overliving over and over and over. Right. And that cycle just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. Right. And so you've got you've to find your way through that path to say, how, how do I get rid of this as a chain that's on me? How do I get rid of that? Because it's it's slowing me down. But you've got to realize that it's slowing you down. You know, sometimes it's the frog in a pot. You know, I mean, you don't you don't cook them right away. You let it kind of slowly get to a boil, and you'll get them. You know, and um, I don't understand that analogy really at all. Okay, well, sounds <laughs> like you're putting a live frog in a pot and turning the heat you on. You are. If you put a to frog, if top? you put a frog, <laughs> that that's what I've like always torture. Been, I've always been told. Like if you're if you're doing that, like if if you you can put the. Fr- <laughs> This is awful. People, go, ahead, go ahead, talk yourself out of this one. This is people who are in PETA, please please send your email to cooking a frog. Please send your email to Jimbo at. <laughs> I've never heard a skimming frog. What is going well, on? you. It, this is what I've been told. I'm trolling on that. If you if you put the it's. It's how do you boil a frog? You know, frog. It's Cajun. Who has this conversation? Cajun people. I don't know. You've been told. Go to Louisiana, man. You're from Louisiana? Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you go to Boston or Maryland, it's going to be putting live crabs in, right? Yeah. Can we we please talk about them? Except they can't jump. So you're not even giving them a benefit of a doubt, man. They got no shot. What are the crabs going to do? Walk sideways to the edge of the pot and oh go, oh, I can't get out of here. <laughs> the frog, though, if you don't want him to jump out the pot, you slowly get it to a boil, and you will get him. Because, But if you put him into hot water, boom, he's out. See, that's the way it works. I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. Okay. Anyway, I don't even know why we started <laughs> down this road now. Oh, I guess it's that idea that's that sometimes the, the events, the tragedies that can happen in our life, maybe we're maybe we're pushing the boundaries of, of the true definition of the word tragedy, but the junk that happens in our life can happen at such a slow pace that, that you get to that place where you're like, I I can't believe that I've done this for years and I would have put up with this in for years. I've endured this for years. And and how do I now get out of this? Because this is horrible. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that life has become this. And sometimes it's that. And, and so you've got to figure out your own, you know, plan out of that. But we all have our junk and we all, we all find our ways out of it with, with our different methods. You know, some people go to extreme senses of control. How do I control every aspect of my life? Or, or how do I control even yeah, the I other people I'm, in I'm, my life? I'm no good at control. Yeah, like how do I control everybody else? Well, you know what happens when you try to control everybody else? You become an asshole. 
Right. You know, and and but you're not dealing with your junk. If you would just deal with your junk, you wouldn't be like that. Exactly. And so that's where now I find myself. I have that controlling. I mean, we've talked about that before. That I have that controlling mentality, controlling myself, not just other people. And when I start taking the bull by the horn, he gives me a good buck and throws me off because my way I live by everything happens for a reason and my higher power is guiding me in the right way so when i try to go down that path if it's not the right way then i'm getting thrown off right if that makes any sense oh yeah you know i mean yeah you're gonna take that real fast what doesn't work real yeah. quick and then you take a look back and it's like oh that was my plan not his plan that's why there we go take a step there back joe this, this you're wasn't not, working you're not in charge <laughs> But yeah, so you've got those that type of stuff that goes on. And how do you now get out of it? Everybody should be in some sort of a program, I think. I That's, agree with that 100%. And I mean, even if it's not uh, even if it's not a meeting, maybe you've got to you've got to pick up some of the principles. I mean, even I mean, there's plant there's so many things out there. I don't care if it's an art group or if it's exercising or I mean, get that group you know, that way people that are dealing with the same things than you are. I mean, that's a big thing that I thought about after I finally dealt with my dad was, uh, am I the only kid that went through this? You mm. know, I mean, <laughs> not everyone deals with it by sitting at the bar every day drinking. Right. You know, that's how I dealt with it. I don't want to deal with it like that. I want to deal with it by people that deal with it different, you know? Right. This is not the life. This is not the way I want to deal with it. And it took me 14 years to... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, once yeah, once you're once you're kind of heading down that addiction path, I don't I don't know very many people who have come out of that addiction path without having hit rock bottom, right? Before they've before they've been able to turn that corner and say, okay, this is not working. But but rock bottom has to come. I mean, it's almost once you're on the slide, it's it's really hard to get off that slide before you hit the bottom of it. Until you hit that aha moment. Yeah, I mean, I can say it with my. I tried to quit smoking cigarettes hundreds of times. And I was told that I had to quit smoking before the baby was here. <laughs> well, you know you know how well I deal with that, right? Right. That baby would have been born not to let one up. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, hun, but you know how I am too. But um I was standing in the driveway, it was pouring down rain, and it was snow I don't know if it was snowing. Snowing, raining, something. We're in we're in Pittsburgh, right? And I'm standing out there smoking, miserable, and then I start getting on a coughing fit where I feel like my lungs are going to come up my throat, and I'm just like, why? And finally, that right there was the end of it, and I did make that deadline. It was a month before <laughs> Kendall got here, so you drug it out for eight months. I did that for you, hun. <laughs> KJ, it was all for you, girl. <laughs> but until you do it for yourself, you're not going to do it for anybody else. Exactly. And you know what? I just heard recently a, a guy who was talking just, he said it so casually, but but it was so deep and profound. He said, if you want to be a good parent, because he was being asked about how his, his kid kind of turned out, you know, with a good relationship that he, he and his son have an awesome relationship. And, and he said, he said, well, if you really, the, the best advice I can give to any parent out there is, is work on yourself. You know, if, if you're working on yourself, then you're going to allow your kids to work on themselves because we, we've all got our junk we, and we all come at it from, from individual angles. You know I mean? Yep. Once, once you have a kid in your house, you realize how, how different personalities are. 
you know, and that how short your temper yeah, really is. Nature, yeah, <laughs> nature, nature and nurture are not polar opposite extremes. There's a blending that happens there. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a stranger in the house, and and that that personality is something that you've got to get to learn. You know, it's <laughs> you're like, gonna love that person. You don't yeah, have a choice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's somebody that that has their own personality, their own likes, their own dislikes, and and you've got to say, okay, how how do I handle this person? You know, and on some levels you're shaping them. So there is a, there is a nurture aspect, but there's a nature aspect that you can't do jack about. Mm -hmm. That's just who that person is. And, and now how do, how do I help them and love them in the best way possible so that it makes sense for them, you know, but in order to do that, I have to let them be them. And I have to work on me to be my best self. And if I can work on myself, then I can I can allow others to work on themselves and not take them on as projects. Then full circle, because that's how we like to roll on this podcast, you can then handle tragedy when it comes up out of the blue. <laughs> if you work on yourself on a daily basis, when little potholes or wrinkles show up, you can get through life a little bit easier because you know what you're dealing with. Keep your side of the street clean. Exactly. All right, well, in the sense of keeping our side of the street clean, we are going to mention that we are sponsored by FTBA and Big Joe's Towing. And on the group page this week, I was supposed to drop three questions, and I forgot the funnest one was, <laughs> what was the first car that you drove? This week it'll be there, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be there. And Big Joe's going to list the first two, first car that he drove by giving you two of them. Because <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand his own questions. <laughs> Uh, oh so we have that going on we're also uh on our page is uh sheree's gofundme page please continue to follow along with that that is a that is a challenge that she continues to to battle and we want to do our best to help support her through that uh that is sheree allen's gofundme page you'll find it on our group page uh as uh as well as on our our regular facebook page if you if you go there instead um, but you can find us there. You can find us on the website. Please, with the podcast, download it, subscribe, share, review. The, the reviews really do matter. They count. Tell all your friends and family. Yeah, pass it along. And uh, and we hope that you, you've enjoyed sitting here at the table with us. We have uh, a great lot of fun doing this with you. And uh, we love you. We will see you next week. 